Hello and welcome back to another episode of Storytelling with Seth. This is episode number 70, and I'm your host, Seth Singleton. Today we sit down with Tony Lloyd in a conversation about living your best year, being your best self, from what is that in your hand to how are you, discovering the lost connections, how to plant a tree, developing a sense of agency, and making connections through shared values. In this episode of Storytelling with Seth, our conversation takes in account all of the challenges we're currently facing, and then views them through a lens of what's possible when we challenge ourselves to live our best year possible. Thank you for joining me today as I sit down with Tony Lloyd to discuss this and so much more, including what it's like to get trapped in a story. Join me now. Tony, thank you so much for making a connection with me and working with me so we could arrange to sit down and have a conversation today. Perfect. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Really appreciate that. This is another episode of Storytelling with Seth. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. I'm sitting down today with Tony Lloyd. Tony, we're going to start out in relationship to what's going on around us, the current climate and how the concept of Thrive and what you've been doing regarding it can um, be part of our introduction. And then I'd love to move into what you were doing and what your mission was before the coronavirus pandemic began and some of the adjustments we've had to make. So start out, if you wouldn't mind, talk to me about what you've been doing in the, the realm of Thrive in relation yeah. to this recent uh, change in our national climate. Yeah, I, I think contextually, let me just kind of set this up a little bit. Um, that my so everybody has their understanding of what's the purpose of life, right? It's the big question we're all here to answer. Like, what the heck am I here? What what's going on? Uh, and and the place that I landed is we're here on Earth to connect deeply with one another, uh, to connect with nature, to connect with a higher power, but to connect. We are also here to contribute. And so uh, to, to make a contribution to the world, to put a ding in the corner of the universe. But before I can connect and before I can contribute, I first have to practice self-care. And, and that comes down, a lot of people use the word thrive, and I really like that. So basically, my philosophy is thrive, then connect, and then contribute. Uh, so if you think about the current situation, it's really about right now we are, we're all having to practice resilience. But given the uh, given the context that we're living in right now, the way that we thrive, the way that we connect and the way that we contribute has to look a little differently. So um, so I think that it, it's it's incredibly important that we take care of things like our physical health, our emotional health, our intellectual health, our spiritual well-being. All of those things are sort of prerequisites, precursors to um, connecting and contributing. And when it comes to how we are finding ways to connect and contribute, it seems as though there's been a recognition that social distancing opens up new avenues for reconnecting stronger connections or making a, a more concerted effort to 
uh, find those that we might not have time in our day to day to sit down and have a conversation with either video or audio and to engage with them in a way that that can lead to a lot of positive effects for us. Uh, I believe you've been doing some work recently as well, even in spite of the current climate and how you've been able to share your message. One of the things, so one of the phrases I really like is this phrase, what is that in your hand, right? So when I look around and I go, okay, I'm faced with this COVID crisis, um, what do I have in my hand? What's something that I have, I I can do, I can do something about. And I love, I love your work because you are a storyteller. And there are a lot of people around us who have these stories of, of resilience in the midst of adversity. <clears throat> so I've been collecting those stories. I, um, I, I heard, I heard a story about an employee at Buzzfeed who, this is just a small example, an employee at Buzzfeed who, uh, when everybody was being sent home, she gathered all of the potted plants from all the cubicles on multiple floors and put them all in one place so that she could come in from time to time and water the plants so that when all the other employees came back from being furloughed, that they would have a living plant waiting for them. You know, that's, that is a good example of thriving or, you know, the, uh, the whiskey distillery in Pennsylvania that um, they looked around and they said, what do we have in our hands? Well, we have a distillery. We could make hand sanitizers. So they retooled their system to make hand sanitizers. And then uh, just today I talked to uh, a 10 year old boy and his eight year old sister, and they are, you know, away from school, can't go to school. So what they did was they um, they decided to start a podcast. And so every day they have like the word of the day and they, um, you know, like they're, they're studying chemical compounds at school. So they call their grandfather, who was a chemist with 3M, and they interview him and he talks to them about water chemical compounds. And, you know, they have a mystery sound. So they play a mystery sound at the beginning of the podcast and one at the end so that you know what the mystery sound is. It's, it's a really fun thing. And they're learning a ton. And they're learning storytelling and they're learning, you know, just basically how to be present when they're not physically present. And they're learning to be flexible uh, and they're learning all the skill set that is going to allow us to be successful as we move forward. So I think, you know, that uh, you you mentioned something that we're connecting now, maybe even more frequently. You know, I uh, you may remember this, that um, people talk about September 11th. Uh, 2001 and what happened then, what I really want to pay attention to is September 12th, the way that we all came together, uh, that like we said, I've got to stop waiting to call my loved ones. I've got to do it right now. You know, there's, there's a little bit of a feeling of that in the air right now, given the situation that we're in. I do agree. I've found myself making um, a greater effort to connect with family. I recently recorded a podcast with an old colleague who is now uh, teaching in uh, Illinois. And that opportunity allowed me to uh, have a great set of conversations that I don't normally get the chance to have the way I would like to. My sister has three kids scheduling a video chat with her and her husband and my parents can be so challenging. And yet this time around, um, it was something that was 
easier simply because yeah. of how much closer we were and how much more comfortable it felt to stop in the middle of our day, feel like there weren't moving pieces around us that would crash into each other if we did that and schedule a quick call five minutes from the suggestion, which in a normal day would seem absurd. I mean, our lives are planned to the minute in so many ways. Now, I'm intrigued that you brought up the idea of podcasting because I know that that's something that you have some experience in. Right. Right. Yeah, I have a I have a couple of podcasts. I have one called Social Entrepreneur, uh, and we tell uh, positive stories from underrepresented voices focused on solutions. Uh, we have uh, more than 250 episodes. Uh, we get about half a million downloads in over 180 countries. Um, so it's been it's been really successful. And then I recently launched the second podcast called Thrive, Connect, Contribute, and it's really about uh, these stories of resilience in the middle of uh, of this chaos. I'm I'm thinking of it as like uh, the Moth or Story Time, uh, Story Core for uh, resilient people. So yeah, I, I have a little bit of experience in podcasting. And it must be heartwarming. It was for me to hear this story, to hear about these kids who decided that a time when they couldn't do what they were normally doing gave them an opportunity to seize what might ordinarily have been impossible given the schedule of even their young lives and start a podcast, begin a journey of discovery for themselves and rely on resources as personal as calling grandpa, uh, getting a bit of a science lesson, and through it, sharing what they're learning with others, which has been shown through the peer-to-peer the -peer research, how effective it can be when kids teach each other what they've learned and shared in a way that makes the connection that much stronger than it, it might come from an adult. Right. Um, I'm really moved by that idea, and I love that it's a great example of this uh, concept of thriving because it's this concept that started you out on this year of personal best, which is something you were working on for quite some time before the environment began to change around us as it recently has. Right. Uh, you start the story off in December 2018. Uh, right. And you said something rather direct to a friend, something that I think you can only say to a friend that you trust and you feel close to, but also when you're at a place when even if that's not the situation, you're no longer worried about that because you feel there's something you need to say out loud. I was wondering if you could tell us in your own words what you said and what that started for you as far as your journey. Yeah. Uh, so Seth, it, it, I don't know how many times a day you ask this question or answer this question, but just the simple question of how are you, right? And uh, sometimes in the middle of like, uh, you know, a virus, well, that's an important question, right? It takes on a little more uh, gravity. But normally from day to day, we see each other, you know, how you doing? I'm great. You know, or if you're from Jersey, hey, how you doing? Right. So so we we ask each other this question. We answer that question again and again and again. But when I, I went to breakfast with my friend Michael and it's December of 2018 and he um, he asked me, you know, we, we just sat down at the booth and he asked me, how are you? And it just sort of hit me sideways that he had asked me this question. And the reason it hit me sideways was because I had to make up my mind, do I want to tell the truth or not? 
you know, I could give him the flippant little, I'm fine, you know, but the truth was I wasn't fine. And, and so I, I told him first, I told him, actually, I'm depressed. And he was present enough. I I have to admire uh, Michael for his ability to just sort of stay with me in the middle of this. Um, So he said, so what does that look like? And the words that came out of my mouth, they shocked me and they certainly shocked him uh, because I didn't know I was about to say this. And what I said was, I don't think I want to be alive. And as soon as I said that, those words, there were two thoughts that simultaneously hit me. So one was I had to clear up to him for him right away. I just had to say, look, I'm not, a, I'm not going to go harm myself. I'm not thinking about harming myself. And I'm not even sure I want to die. It's just I don't get the point of all of this, right? You know, we, we get up in the morning and we eat our food to gain energy so that we can go do some stuff. And then the day ends and we go to bed and we get back up the next morning and we eat food and we go do stuff and we go back to bed. And so, like, you know, what this whole hamster wheel thing, what are we doing here? So the first thing I just wanted to say was I wasn't thinking about harming myself. I was very clear on that with him. But the second thing that happened right in that moment was I felt immediately filled with shame and guilt because I live a life of privilege. I mean, let's just start with this. I, I was born within the winning zip code, right? So just if you travel the world and you meet people who were born in other areas, you you soon find out that just simply being born in the poorest zip code in the United States puts you way ahead of a lot of people in the world. Uh, but even within the United States, there are big differences in our uh, financial outcomes, in our educational outcomes, and all these things just simply by where we're born. So I had have up until this point lived a very privileged life. I was a Fortune 500 executive. I was able to retire at the age of 55. I, you know, have my own thing that I do, and I have some podcasts, and I wrote a book, and I have just all this really cool stuff. And you know, I'm doing things that other people would pray that they'd be able to do. Uh, but um, I still actually felt uh, depressed, and so I just had to say it. I had to say it out loud. Uh, and then, you know, when he asked me why I thought I was depressed, so, you know, he, he asked me what it looked like, and I told him, and then he said, so why do you think you're depressed? So what I told him was the story that was in my head, it was the same story that had been told to me by my doctor and by psychologists and other people, and I said, well, my level of serotonin is low. And uh, because my brain is broken, and so I probably need to either take some St. John's wort, or maybe I might even have to take pharmaceuticals, and you know I need to do something to boost my serotonin level. And so he said, "Do you mind if I send you something?" And I said, "No, you know, of course I don't mind if you send me something. Send me something. That's great." So we finished our breakfast and went about our way. But later that day, he sent me the book. Lost Connections. It's by Johan Hari. It's called Lost Connections, Why You Are Depressed and How to Find Hope. And Johan Hari traveled the world. He interviewed hundreds of people who are experts on anxiety and depression. And what he finally landed on is that there are 
nine causes of anxiety and depression, and only two of them have anything to do with your brain chemistry or your genes. And so what he found was, um, and the name of the book, Lost Connections, is because he found that we are disconnected from a healthy ecosystem. And so by that, he means things like being disconnected from meaningful work or being disconnected from other people or from meaningful values or status and respect or even the natural world or a hope for a better future or even we're disconnected from our own trauma that we have gone through that we haven't processed yet. So he and then so those are like seven reasons. And then the last two are, well, there's some influence from your genetics and there's some changes in the chemistry of your brain, and some people need a little help with that. But he really found, based on the best minds in the world, that a lot of what we think about anxiety and depression is wrong. And But what it did for me was that conversation with Michael, where I just spoke out loud what I was going through, and reading this book, Lost Connections, it gave me a sense of agency. It gave me this sense that maybe I had some control over my destiny. Um, so I made up, made a decision in that moment that what I wanted to do with 2019 was I just wanted to flip the script. I just wanted to, to change the narrative. And I wanted to use 2019 to live a year of personal bests. So what would my best look like in my physical, emotional, uh, social life, my vocation, my finances, my marriage? I mean, you name it in every area of my life. And I mapped out 10 areas of my life where I wanted to live my best year. Uh, and then I, um, I'll talk a little bit uh, here in a second about uh, how I measured how I was doing and then what I did about it. But let me just pause for a second and see if you wanted to jump in there or see if you had questions or comments or anything. Well, I do appreciate the fact that your friend, you know, seemed to stay with you after you spoke this very direct message out loud. Yeah. And he did seem to point to a really interesting thing that I was curious about, which was that both you and your doctor were very clear on what the treatments were. Mm -hmm. But it seemed as though his assistance through providing this great book was to say, let's talk about what some of the causes might be as well. You're talking about the treatments, and that's great because that's how you can manage what's going on. But what's causing the problem that you're facing? What's causing the issues that are starting to arise within you, the challenges that you're now facing? And I'm really intrigued by that because... That's what led you to this book. And through that book, you were no longer looking at how can I manage uh, the feelings that I'm having, but what's causing them? And why are we focused on the surface when in reality, if we look at this possibility, we can go beneath the surface, which is generally where the best stories really are, and look at what these causes might be. And I'm also intrigued because this loss of connection especially in regards to an ecosystem, is something that we've heard before, but this presentation of it seems uh, very unique to me, at least. And I was curious about how that uh, not only attracted you, but perhaps which one of these uh, ideas that he was giving, these nine ideas, began you know, to, to sort of uh, introduce you to the others, or which you developed a stronger connection with 
through your process of reading the book and discovering what these lost connections were. Yeah, yeah. I, you said it very well. It's looking at the cause, not the effect. Um, you know, I think about it this way. I'm As you and I are talking, I'm looking through a window into my front yard and, you know, I have a tree that's right out there in the front yard. And if I would plant a tree in my yard and the tree was sickly and didn't really grow well, I wouldn't go out with a ruler and start spanking the tree and say, you bad tree, how dare you not do well? I would go, well, I must have done something wrong because, you know, nature is just very simple. If you take a tree and you give it the right soil and you give it the right temperature and you give it the right amount of water and you give it the right amount of sunshine, if it's in the right region, it, it should thrive. I mean, that's just what trees do. They just thrive. Uh, and and the same thing with humans. I think if we if we stop beating people up for going through anxiety and depression and we start saying, well, maybe there's some environmental causes here uh, or lifestyle choices or other things, you know, whether it's being foisted upon them or if it's things that they're doing to themselves, um, that that there is some way to break out of this ecosystem. Uh, or to make it a healthy ecosystem so that that person can thrive. So I think I think that whole concert, concept of um, just looking at the inputs and not just the outputs, uh, I think that really attracted me. And then, you know, as you think about our, our lifestyle choices, uh, you know, disconnection from people, for me, that was a key thing that I had to pay attention to because I – uh, I used to be a Fortune 500 executive. I was in the middle of a corporation. I was surrounded by people, you know, almost 24 hours a day. Uh, and when I left there and I started my entrepreneurial journey, uh, I I work from a home office. I'm just sitting here in my office and the only other two interactions I have in a day typically is my wife, Lynn, and our dog, Mowgli. So, you know, that, that pretty much covers my social life right there. Um, so remembering to, um, you know, like I, I, in 2019, I, I got a little more serious about running and I ran with a group and within group running, what you end up doing is you end up, you're interacting with other people and you're out in nature and you're connecting on all kinds of levels and you're having, you know, meaningful conversations. And so really it's, it's about looking at kind of the holistic, uh, view of the ecosystem we're in. So I could I could go on to talk more about, you know, the actions I took and all that. But let me just pause for you here. Well, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't mind before we go into that, just getting an idea if you could, because one of the things that I, I love about the introduction you gave about the kids who had the opportunity to start a podcast and share their understanding is that one of my favorite experiences is recognizing how I'm able to interpret something and then turn around and, and relate it to someone else. Mm. So you have the experience as a podcaster. You've had the opportunity to read this book, which we haven't, and you have these nine ideas. Um, if you wouldn't mind, would you possibly break down each one with just a sentence or two as it relates to you or as you would like it to uh, be best relayed to anyone listening right now, because right. they might have caught them as concepts, but in order to ingrain them, there needs to be that personal connection. You right. clearly were able to make some of those, uh, perhaps uh, make all of them. And what was that personal connection if you were explaining it to someone else, if you had 
you know, just a, a moment or two and someone's going, yeah, but you just spouted out nine words and I'm trying to get an idea of which one of those I was supposed to pay attention to. Right. We can pause for a second and say, hi, let's let's actually just give you a meaning to go with each one of those phrases, right. each one of those words and connections. And then right. we can move out of there because I, I feel like they were also uh, extremely beneficial to what we'll be talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Johan Hari, he gives great stories in each of these chapters, but let me just kind of go through them. So when it comes to disconnection from meaningful work, he starts his story by talking about this guy named Joe who works in a uh, hardware store and he mixes paint. That's what he does. And he said he stands behind a counter. And now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. And people walk up with a paint swatch, and he goes over and puts some dyes into a can of neutral paint, and he puts it in a machine, and it shakes it up, and then he hands it to the person, and then the next person in line comes up. And so it's, you know, it's take the swatch, mix the paint, next person. Take the swatch, mix paint, next person. And that just happens all day long. And um, when Johan had a, had a conversation with this guy, he said, you know, what, what, what do you really enjoy doing? And so once he started talking about that, his eyes light up. He goes, oh, I love to fish, and I really love deep sea fishing, and I'm really into that. I want to do that for the rest of my life. And you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to have a charter boat in the Florida Keys, and I'd love to take people out. And, and um, you know, Johan listened to him and heard all that. And he goes, so why are you here? Why are you not in Florida? Well, you know, I, I don't know. It'd be a big risk, and I don't know if I want to do that. And and so there was a story in his head that had him trapped in this meaningless work. And if you think about the kinds of jobs that people do every day, all day, um, I have never yet met a person who uh, who uh, I've never yet met a person, to use a double negative, I've never yet met a person who didn't want to work on purpose. They they want to make a dollar, but they also want to make a difference. And so finding ways to either bring meaning to the work you're doing or to do work that has meaning for you, that, that is the challenge, right? Um, when he talks about disconnection from people, it's very interesting. He uh, and And this is relevant to today. Uh, with the the uh, social isolation that we're doing, um, social distancing, which I don't like that term. I like the term physical distancing, but it, you know we seem to have adopted this term social distancing. Um, but when he talks about disconnection from people, one of the things that he says is a little off color. He says um, social media is to connecting with people as pornography is to sex. That it's not the same thing that uh, you can go on to Facebook or Twitter or whatever and like and, and comment and whatever, but it is not the same thing. And the other thing he said is you can be in the middle of Times Square and be packed shoulder to shoulder with lots and lots of people and still feel lonely and, and anxious and depressed. Uh, and um, the thing is about connecting with people, it's connecting with people over shared values, over something that you hold dear in common. And that could be your favorite football team, or that could be, um, you know, a religion, or it could be, uh, you know, a particular kind of uh, peanut brittle, 
that you are just a big fan. And, you know, I know that you spend time in the comic world. I mean, you know, there are people who are in different camps and universes and they follow different people and, uh, you know, all that. So we find meaning somewhere. And it's so connecting with people is really about connecting with people over shared values. Uh, and then disconnection from meaningful values. When he talks about that, he talks about how much of especially modern day society and the whole influencer society and social media society and all that, that um, it's all about extrinsic values. It's all about, do people see me? Do they notice me? Do they like me? Do they love me? And so he talks about how we, and, and status and respect, we'll come back to that in a minute, but how, but he talks about how we have to, you know, in order to be healthy, to drive ourselves from intrinsic values. What is the thing within us that we value and that we want to connect with? Uh, when he talked about uh, disconnection from childhood trauma, he tells a story about um, a doctor who was uh, treating uh, morbidly obese people. And this is an interesting story he talks about. And, I'll, you know, Johan tells the story better. So I recommend people read Lost Connections, but I'll just tell it, you know, the best I can. Um, he talks about this doctor and the doctor said, well, uh, what, you know, if the problem is that they take in more calories than they can burn, what if we stop giving them calories? What if we just stop letting them eat for a period of time? And then, well, they, you know, they won't get vitamins and so they, you know, their health will deteriorate or they, you know, won't get vitamin C and they'll get scurvy. Well, what if we gave them an IV drip and it had vitamin C? Uh, you know, well, they need potassium and magnesium. Well, what if we give them, you know, so he worked it all out until he put a large group of people into this experiment where they lost dramatic amounts of weight and these are, you know, people who weighed 600 pounds or more, you know, they were morbidly obese. Uh, and so they shed all this weight. And then there was one woman in this uh, experiment who was really kind of their star. She was the poster child. She lost all this massive amount of weight. Uh, she had like a surgery to remove the excess skin. I mean, she was really like she was the person everybody wanted to point to. And then one day she came in for her uh, appointment and she was up 10 pounds. And then the next time she was up 45 pounds. And then next thing you know, she's on her way back up to this massive amount of weight. So the doctor sat down with her and had a conversation with her and said, so, so tell me about what was happening in your life when you started gaining all that weight back. And she said, well, I remember feeling very uncomfortable because I was at a bar and a man hit on me. He hit on me. He, he, you know, propositioned me and I went home that night and started binge eating. So, um, she said that, uh, that, that was the, that was the pivot mom moment for her. Well, he started looking into it and found out that, um, she had been molested as a child at the age of like 11. And that was the moment when she had first started gaining all the weight. And it turned out that a very high um, number of people who are morbidly obese were also abused as children. 
and that they started that weight gain pattern during that time. Now, that's by the way, that's not saying all people who are morbidly obese were abused children, but a high percentage of them were. And so um, when he interviewed a whole bunch of people then, he started asking questions about that. And one woman said, well, nobody ever looks at a fat person. And, and so they were gaining all this weight to protect themselves from this childhood trauma. So when we, when we don't deal with the trauma that is there, whether it's childhood trauma, adult trauma, you know, um, uh, chronic trauma, whatever that is, then we end up in these sort of unhealthy behaviors and unhealthy feelings and we're eating our feelings, et cetera. Um, he talks about disconnection from status and respect. And so, um, uh, you know, he, he, um, I'm, I'm almost drawing a blank with that one, but, but I do know that, uh, the key point was that, um, a, as let's say within the ecosystem of work that people want their work to be seen. They want, you know, um, a long time ago, I read a, a book on um, recognition, rewards, and motivation. And the number one driver uh, for employees that they wanted was a note from their boss. That was like, you know, they wanted it more than a raise. They just simply wanted somebody to acknowledge that they had been seen. And then disconnection for the natural world. You know, we we feel alienated from the natural world. We feel like uh, almost threatened by the natural world. We feel like it's hostile sometimes. And um, we are made to be in the natural world. Uh, and then disconnection from hope for a better future. And so that's really about that, you know, that that sense of anxiety that nothing will ever be better, that there is no way out of this. Um, so, you know, nine different causes, the last two were uh, genes and then changes in your brain. And even, you know, the whole story about serotonin and changes in your brain, um, one, there is zero evidence that raising or lowering your serotonin has any impact on your anxiety and depression. But two, um, is when there is suppressed serotonin, is it the effect? Is it the cause of the uh, anxiety and depression, or is it the symptom of anxiety and depression? Does your brain produce less serotonin when you are anxious and depressed or the other way around? So anyway, those are, those are the nine causes, and I, um, I, I probably butchered uh, poor Johan Hari's uh, book and explanations, but um, yeah, I, I recommend the book, Lost Connections, Why Are You Depressed and How to Find Hope. I, I think he's going to forgive any small slights that might have occurred, but I felt that you broke down each one very well. I, I love the examples that you were giving. And I felt that each one has a, a very clear resonance that we can recognize just by hearing the concept and how it's uh, visualized through your description, where it fits into our lives, because these are things that we can all recognize. And it's important that we do, because what we're talking about as part of this conversation is the idea of thriving. And when it comes to thriving, you are going to face limitations on your ability to thrive if these factors are obstacles that you do not work through, uh, confront, or address in whatever ways are, are best. Now, Keeping in context, as you pointed out, you're a Fortune 500 executive, you're a best-selling author, you're a TEDx speaker and coach. What sort of impact did this have that 
led you to approach the 2019, you know, living your best self? And uh, how does that work into this idea, which I really loved, which was uh, the uh, the three focus areas and the 10 domains? You know, so you've you've had this understanding after reading Johan's book, you can start to make a uh, a personal connection to these lost connections that he's describing. And you're looking at yourself and you have this moment in your life where one phase, your executive phase has, you know, closed uh, the majority of its chapters or that chapter, that section, that act perhaps. And you're looking at this next stage and you've had this realization. You've been given a source to uh, begin referencing and you look at yourself and you take on, say, for example, running, which you mentioned. And you didn't just run a little bit. You ran a lot. And from there, you you began embracing these three areas of focus, these 10 domains. Build us from this discovery of the lost connections, as Johan describes them, your personal understanding, how it led you into running. And was running the first? Where, where, did, where did the sort of uh, first steps occur? Where did the trajectory start to change? What happens after you've, you know, started to absorb a lot of this, internalize it and try and express it? Right. So, you know, again, it really gave me a sense of agency, you know, that that this conversation with my friend Michael and and reading Lost Connections, it really helped me to understand that if the problem that I'm dealing with is anxiety and depression, uh, and if, let's say, seven out of nine of those, I have some control over, Right. That uh, and and by the way, I just want to again emphasize I come from a position of privilege. And so, you know, my how my best might look, let's say financially or in other ways, is going to look different than somebody else's. And yet we each have the ability to control something. Uh, and I think in the middle of of uh, the crisis that we're in right now or in the middle of any trauma, um, regaining a little bit of control, it helps build our resilience. So finding something that we can steer, that we can grab, that we can do something about. So so I think that that was important for me. The first thing was I had to decide, you know, uh, I had to decide that I had some measure of control over this. The second thing I had to decide, though, was, okay, I made this decision to year, live my year of personal best, but that just brings up all these other questions like, you know, what would my life look like if I was thriving? Or, you know, how would I even know if I was thriving? Or, you know, what am I going to measure and how do I measure it? And then once I measure it, what do I do with it? So I have this self-assessment that uh, that I'm using and it has these three areas, you know, thrive, connect and contribute. And within each of those three areas, it has a total of 10 domains. So four in one area and three in the other two. Um, but um I, I literally have a, a self-assessment with a little slider bar that I can now slide to the right or slide to the left, and I could say, okay, on a scale of one through, actually, I use one through twelve because you can do quartiles that way, you know, four quartiles. Um, so I I built a little quiz that I give myself, and so I can slide it to the left or slide it to the right, and I could say, you know, uh, for example, in my physical health. How do I think I'm doing? And and this is just a self-assessment. It allows me to just sort of say, you know, am I happy with what I, where I'm at on this? And then I have a little description on the left-hand side at the one, and I have another description on the right-hand side at 12. And so I can just slide the slider bars back and forth to sort of self-assess myself. And what that does then is it produces for me a, 
um, a spider graph. And I don't know if you know what a spider graph is, but um, if you picture a spider web and if it had 10 different uh, uh, stalks going off in different directions on the spider web, uh, 10 different legs, then the web may be very high out to the edge on one part or dipping down low in the other part. So I create this spider graph from the answers to those questions. Um, and, and so in Thrive, I measure myself on my physical, my emotional, my in, uh, intellectual and spiritual well-being. And connect is about relationships. So my social relationships, my uh, marital, in my case, or in my significant other, uh, and then uh, parental or familial, if you want, you know, if you're not a parent, then how, how am I doing within the context of the family? So those relationships and then contribute really is about the impact that I can have in the world. So my vocation, what, what am I doing within my the, the work that I do that makes an impact uh, financial? Do I make enough to support myself and my family? And then we have enough to give a little time and treasure to other people. Uh, and then avocation, which includes uh, hobbies, but it also includes, includes the causes that I work towards or the things I volunteer for, or, you know, time, talent, and treasure going towards something like that. So, so those are the 10 domains, and they're within these three focus areas. Uh, and once I measured myself, then I looked at the trends, and I go, okay, so – you know, what What do I see as the trends in my life? And then for every one of those areas, I set goals. And for every goal, I put steps along the way with measured in time. So I said, you know, uh, for example, in my family, okay, I have this number of people that I want to be connected to. Uh, I want to make a phone call to this person this often. Uh, I want to send birthday cards in the mail, which is just, you know, who gets a birthday card in the mail anymore. Uh, and so I want to do these certain things. And so I made a schedule and I have all these steps along the way. Uh, and then I implemented that. Uh, and the results are uh, pretty astounding. Uh, now, not only do I do this, um, this um, you know, sort of slider self-assessment, but in everything that I can measure, I did measure. And so let's just take, you know, physical because it's easier to, to measure that. You know, how do you, how do you measure emotional or spiritual? You know, those are a little squishier to measure. But in physical, we have all kinds. I mean, we are the, uh, you know, the the measured generation. We have uh, fitness watches and apps and all that. So um, my health was better at the end of the year. My relationships were better at the end of the year. And, and surprisingly, my business grew significantly during the year because you can't pour from an empty vessel, right? So, so I had spent time doing self-care, which allowed me to be better in all these other areas. Um, and then um, in my physical health, as an example, uh, like you mentioned, last year I ran 1,790 miles, uh, which is basically the equivalent of running from Minneapolis to Miami. Uh, and according to the uh, fitness app Strava, and if you know, lots of your listeners probably use uh, Strava or something similar, uh, Strava measures your fitness according to your respiration, your heartbeat, et cetera, based on effort, based on what you're doing. And according to Strava, my fitness level went up 218% in 2019. Um, I started, excuse me, I started a plant-based diet. That sounded terrible. Excuse me. <clears throat> I started a plant-based diet last year and my LDL cholesterol went down 29%. My triglycerides uh, decreased 38%. My 
And now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. Total cholesterol went down 40% and I lost 16.4 pounds across the year. And, and so really the thing I think that had to, you know, when I, when I had that conversation with Michael and I told him, I just don't get the point of it all. This whole idea about Thrive, Connect, Contribute, that's the thing that shifted everything for me. Because um, what I really learned from all of this is we are here on Earth to connect with one another and to make a contribution to the world. But before you can connect and contribute, you first have to practice self-care. So it is Thrive first, then Connect, then Contribute. So that's really what happened with this year of my personal best. I I have to ask, Tony, what did doctors, <laughs> friends, your wife say? I mean, the, the the numbers you're talking about, clearly your doctor probably had the most, yeah. uh, you know, understanding and, and data to process. But there must have been outward changes that others recognized as well, aside from the 16.4 pounds, unless they right. weigh you regularly, which I won't judge your <laughs> friends for doing that. That's okay. <laughs> However, we choose to, you know, equate our relationships. That's, that's how we do things. But uh, what did they notice? What were they mm -hmm. saying? Doctors, friends, your wife, anyone else that, that, you yeah. know, adds to this story. You know, um, my, uh, my running friends noticed that, I was setting not not just a um, you know in, in running you you set a PR a personal record within each race distance and then you know your goal is to beat that PR and a lot of people when they turn 60 and I'm 61 right now when they turn 60 they just go you know what I'm just going to reset my PR for a new decade and I'm just going to say I, I'm never going to beat that PR that I set when I was in my 20s or 30s or 40s I'm just going to try to do better at this age, I actually set a new personal record in 13 different race distances from the mile through the marathon. Um, now, I'm not a lead of the pack runner. I'm not going to, you know, qualify for the Olympics or anything. But uh, my my um, marathon time as just a you know common street runner is pretty respectable. I ran a 319 um, uh, marathon. And uh, that put me about fourth in my age group in this uh, in grandma's marathon up in uh, Duluth, Minnesota. And and so, you know, I was setting PR after PR after PR and people were like, what the heck? What are you eating? What are you taking? What's going on with you? You know, <laughs> and uh, and then uh, but my doctor, I have to tell you this funny story. My doctor is Romanian. And so he's he is this big chested man. He looks like Santa Claus, but he's kind of talks like this, you know? And, uh, and so, uh, I went to see him at the end of the year and, uh, he took the blood, uh, you know, he, he saw me and he goes, Oh, you are in very good shape. And, and, and so I went and had the blood draw and I went back in for him to tell me what the results of the blood work was. And I'm sitting there waiting for him and he walks out of his office and he's got his tablet with him and he's looking at the numbers and he goes, you are in fantastic shape. And just, I was like, could I make that my ringtone? Let me just, you know, <laughs> let me just record that. Could you just say that again? You know, um, my doctor was incredibly, uh, you know, impressed. Um, and other people took notice. I mean, you know, we have, um, um, 
Um, in the Twin Cities, Minnesota, uh, we have a thing here called uh, the Twin Cities in Motion, which puts on the Twin Cities Marathon, the Medtronic Twin Cities Marathon. Um, you know, they they took notice of me. They asked me to be an ambassador for Twin Cities in Motion and the Medtronic Twin Cities Marathon. Uh, you know, and so I'm you know I'm gaining a lot of uh, attention. Uh, from that. And, you know, it, and it feels good, right? I, you know, I'm, I'm wearing uh, smaller size jeans and I'm, uh, I look good in a tight t-shirt and, you know, and I'm 61 years old and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy. I feel like I'm rocking the bod right now. <laughs> that's, that's gotta be a wonderful feeling. I love the story from your doctor. I, I think that's, uh, you know, <laughs> something that, yeah, you, you, you did record it as your ringtone, right? Or is that still a missed uh, no, opportunity? Okay. No, that was no, a no missed opportunity. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. But I, I do love the fact that people were able to see this and, and recognize it. And I'm also intrigued by the fact that you not only challenge yourself to set personal bests in one category or two, but am I getting the number correct? You said 17? No, in in ten different areas. Ten. Oh, oh, but I, I uh, on the race on the race uh, distances on thirteen different race 13. distances. So from uh, the mile through the marathon. So the one mile, the five k, the ten k, the you know fifteen k, uh, half marathon, twenty k, twenty five k. You know, all the way up through the marathon. So. Uh, yeah, that was that was, um, and, and you know, it, it, after a while, it kind of became a little bit of a pressure because people were noticing that I was setting a PR, and then they're like, "Oh, so you have a race this weekend? You're going to set another PR?" It's like, dude, man, come on, you know, when's enough going to be enough? Right. Let's talk about what my goals are. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm I'm going for my goals. I'm not trying to impress <laughs> you or show you what I can do this time around. It's what I can do. You know, right. if you notice, I appreciate it, and I'm thankful. Yeah. Um, and and also at the same time, you know, you were you were able to take on other challenges. The plant based diet has uh, developed quite a following. We've yeah. seen changes in the most unlikely places like fast food restaurants. Um, right. I, I, I can honestly say if you asked me five years ago whether or not I thought that is something I could find at a Burger King or elsewhere, I, I would have just chuckled and said maybe in a different country. And yet I, I find that it's something that is growing with popularity. What did this have to do with uh, you lost connections? Where did the plant-based diet fit in? Was it just about your overall well-being, health, uh, and improvement? Or did you also see this as a way of making other connections, like right. uh, our lost connection with nature? Right. You've hit it right on the head. Uh you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly it. Um, I like to know, set you up, buddy. I want you to yeah. do well. Yeah, thank you. Uh, no, actually, uh, last year in 2019, uh, in the middle of all this, I uh, was trained as a climate reality leader by Vice President Al Gore. And um, so, you know, in thinking about all that, preparing for that, you know, one of the things that um, causes a lot of greenhouse gas is, uh, is land use and agriculture. And so if the rest of the world continues to come into the middle class and, um, you know, they start adopting the American diet, we're going to need six planets to support all of us. Uh, but we only have one planet. 
And so um, for me, I had been thinking about this for a lot of years for various reasons, you know, about kindness to animals, about, uh, you know, my health and well-being, but also about climate change. And it was just like this trifecta came together with those three motivations. And I, I made a decision that I was going to go plant-based. And, and you know, I, I adore my wife, and she and I are, are just fantastic partners. Um, and yet, this did cause some tension for us, right? Because, you know, um, she tried moving to the plant-based diet with me, but she has, um, you know, like, um, she's pre-diabetic, and so too many carbs, and she spikes her blood sugar. Uh, and so we had to figure out how we were going to eat differently, how she was going to eat low-carb, and I was going to eat plant-based and then you know and now we you know we make a big batch of chili except we are doing it in two big pots and she has meat in hers and I have just vegetables in mine and and so it's complicated our lives in a lot of ways and you know if we have if she has leftovers I'm not eating them because you know I'm not eating what she's eating so in a lot of ways it made our lives harder and it caused a little bit of tension and conflict um, but she's a great partner and we just figured out a way to do that together. Um, so it was a little bit of a challenge yet at the same time, it was worth the journey. I can actually relate to that when my wife on a few occasions has tried different, um, uh, eating or health, uh, routes. And one includes, uh, paleo. Um, I'm the cook. I should probably lead off with that. I, I do all the cooking. My father taught me to cook at a very young age. My mother encouraged it. Um, in, in her mind, this was how I was going to be a great partner to a future wife. My father just wanted to make sure I could be a self-sufficient uh, individual when I eventually moved out. And as the cook, I had to also recognize that when these changes occurred, if I'm helping to cook for you, I'm probably going to end up saving a lot of time for myself and just eat similar things, make larger portions so I can enjoy this often. And sometimes the change like paleo would work in some areas and other times I would find myself going, I am not feeling sustained. I need to add something to this for my own benefit. And finding those compromises has always been one of the benefits of being with a partner it requires a, a bit of understanding of, I understand where you want to go, but I need you to understand how far I can go. And sometimes we can't go the same distance together. And that can be also in some of our physical activities. Some days I've got it and she doesn't, vice versa. One of us is saying to the other one, you can push on, but I'm going home. Right, <laughs> and I'll exactly. catch up with you later exactly. because this is as far as I can go. So I love the idea that... Um, you know, this was something that you made a choice about, and it was actually something that you had to work through because you have a partner and your lifestyle changes are going to impact that partner as well. And how your relationship you know, manages, navigates, works through whatever complications can arise. If you don't mind me going back just a little bit, though, can you tell me more about your training with Al Gore and what, what led to that opportunity uh, to take on a role in climate? one that included his instruction. Yeah, um, so uh, I, I've always been concerned about climate change. And, um, you know, today we call it the climate crisis because we've waited almost too late to change. Um, so so that's been on my mind for a very long time. And, and you know, uh, Seth, I, probably a little bit like you, 
I am like this uh, encyclopedia of different ideas that I love to think about and work on and all that. So at some point, you know, several years ago, let me just give you an odd example. At some point several years ago, I got really concerned about malaria and that there were these simple solutions in hand and that, um, you know, we should do something about that. So I ran the New York City Marathon. I raised a bunch of uh, funds for people to donate and you know we bought nets for kids in africa to prevent uh, malaria and and so you know um so one day i'm concerned about that and then the next day is about clean water and then the next day is about something else but um uh which is why i like thinking about social entrepreneurship because it just sort of brings together all these different solutions to all these different kinds of problems uh but i um uh, in the back of my mind, I've been deeply concerned about the climate. Uh, and at some point, I finally decided that, you know, if I if I care about, let's say, social justice or I care about uh, human rights, well, there are no human rights and there is no so- social justice on a dead planet. And so I have to do something about that. That is the impending disaster that is coming at us. It's the meteor that's on its way. So I made this decision that what I would do is I would figure out how to become a better public speaker and speak out about this because I do public speaking anyway. Uh, And so um, this opportunity came up with uh, the climate reality leaders and there are, you know, like 20,000. So it's not like I'm in an exclusive club and it's just me and Uncle Al were sort of palling around the country together or something. But, um, you know, there are about 20,000 climate reality leaders that have been trained around the world and I'm one of them. Uh, And so I I went to this uh, training, I learned about it, and then from that point until today, I've been doing uh, presentations and keynotes and other things, Uh, and now I'm doing webinars and stuff from from home where I'm talking to people about the reality of the climate crisis. And what has been really interesting for me is um, that I have been going out into, I live in Minnesota, so I've been going out into rural Minnesota, into um, counties that voted, you know, 65% or more for President Donald Trump. And so these are not exactly liberal bastions. And yet, when you when you connect with people across shared values, and you talk about solutions, you don't just talk about the problem, but you talk about we have the solutions in hand. And by the way, the, the um, climate-friendly solutions are often the cost-effective solutions. And so if you're a big fan of being frugal, you can actually be a big fan of being green. And, and so by basing this on shared values and things that they observe themselves and, and all that, you know, then I'm able to make connections and people are anxious to hear the story about what we're doing about it. And, you know, as an example, if I'm if I'm uh, in a farming community up in northern Minnesota and I just simply ask a question. So did anybody have a hard time getting their crops into the field in the spring? Well, yes, the spring floods came and they just stayed so long. I almost never got them into the field. Well, did anybody have a hard time getting their crops out of the field. Well, yeah, of course, this year, you know, we we had flooding in the fields and we weren't able to get into the field. You know, are you seeing more 
uh, ticks in your area. Oh, the ticks have gone crazy, and so they're carrying all these diseases. Are you seeing more mosquitoes? Well, of course we are, because you know the winters aren't getting as cold. Well, how many of you like to ski? How many of you like to hunt in the winter? How many of you like ice fishing? You know, and you connect across these things where we share values, uh, and then you're able to talk about well, let's face the facts together that climate change is real, it's caused by human activity, and there's something we can do about it. So there's three parts to the presentation, which is, uh, must we change? Is it really true that we must change? And, and people can get there pretty quickly. Uh, can we change? Is there something we could do about that? And the answer is yes, clearly. But then the third question is, will we change? Is there something we can do together um, that we can, um, you know, accomplish our goals of reducing uh, climate action. I, and, and just one last story on that. I was um, in a small town, and uh, the, the local mayor had come, and he had actually come to, you know, throw verbal rotten tomatoes at me. He was there to, you know, to say what a bad guy I was about, uh, you know, coming out here and how dare I talk about this fake news about climate change. Uh, but I talked to, I talked at the beginning about transportation and about how important it is to have human powered transportation. And I had gone to the county website and just pulled a picture off of the website of them uh, cutting a ribbon and opening a bike trail. And I said, and you know, here's something that you have done here in your county. And, um, you know, I really admire this, that you are you're finding ways for people to move around the county without having to get in their car and drive. Well, the mayor who was there to throw rotten tomatoes at me was in the center of the picture cutting the ribbon on that. And I didn't even know this. I didn't know it was him. I didn't know he was coming. Um, and everybody in the room turned to him and go, wow, that's really cool. And all of a sudden he was a super fan. He's like, yeah, we, <laughs> we have to do something about climate change. And this is really important. So it's, it, it's interesting, once you connect with people across shared values, then you can begin the conversation. I think that's really important because it's where I found my best messaging to be effective when I find a way to recognize that we generally have many of the same shared values, no matter what you and I might look like. When we start talking about what's important to us, it, it very often will line up that we care about having enough food to eat. Right. Seth, are you still there? I'll be there for a second. Are you still there? I am. Something okay. dropped off. Uh, I have noticed a little bit heavier activity when it comes to uh, the Wi-Fi mm. these days. Um mm. So to, yeah. to, to go into uh, the, uh, the idea of, of you know, this, this approach and where we're looking to connect with people, I found also that making a personal connection that allows myself and anyone else to recognize that so often what we want is so similar no matter what we look like, no matter what our backgrounds are, we want to be able to provide for ourselves, provide for those we care about, and know that there's a future that we're looking to for those who are coming up after us, whether right. we have children of our own, nieces and nephews. I mean, really, it just takes being exposed to one group of kids, you know, with hope in their eyes, looking to the future, whether you visit a classroom, come across a group on a field trip, but when you experience that 
Wow, I'm really sorry. I'm not sure what caused that drop off a second time there. That's okay. Yeah, uh, I, I was yeah, still hearing thanks. you. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Uh, when it comes to approaching um, kids and, and seeing what that future looks like, that hope, that promise, it really sets in mind for the rest of us that we want so many of the same things. And getting a connection made through those shared understandings, those shared values, as you pointed out, and then using that to build an understanding for what can protect them and what can harm them and what we can do together to make necessary and effective changes. Uh, it, it seems really uh, interesting that that story that you had was so serendipitous on top of being so important when it comes to a mayor who was not on your side and by the end of your presentation clearly was. Uh, I was going to say, you know, if it wasn't for that, you would have been one of the most effective speakers I've ever heard of without that serendipitous <laughs> moment to include with it. Yet you did know that this wasn't the first time that you've faced opposition to something you're suggesting. It can't sure. be that every time you get on stage, everybody turns around and says, wow, that was wonderful. I have no challenges, disagreements or qualms with what's been presented. I can do it all. There's usually a bit of, well, how do I make what you're asking me to do, which sounds wonderful and that we all want. How do I make it real? I'm looking right. around and I've got so many different things pulling at my attention, so many different things eating up my time. I, I Even if I try and live a 24-hour day and, and use up every minute to its best, I'm not sure I'm even feeling like I'm getting anywhere. And And that sensation can prevent that moment of stopping, reflecting, and considering just what might be possible with a little bit of effort with a little bit of consideration, with um, perhaps just enough quiet to hear your own thoughts long enough to get past the doubts, conflicts, obstacles that are the natural response. So you've you've experienced what this can be like before when you're trying to, to share your message, and yet you have so many great examples of, of how you've been able to use it in your own life have there been testimonials you've been lucky enough to share or that you would like to include today that you know of someone who was on a similar path or that saw your experience and took on a journey of their own? Yeah. Well, there's so much richness in what you just said. And we could we could go <laughs> back to serendipity and about these moments of little synchronicity and little tiny miracles that we run into. And I'd love to share a little quote about that. But, um, you know, one of the things about storytelling, and you are an expert storyteller, it's one of the reasons I wanted to share my story with you, is, be, is that when we're sharing a story, there's this moment at which the story shifts from me to we that there's this 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 sort of call and response thing where where we you know like um uh th somebody said this and i don't remember who first said it said i am redeemed by the act of sharing right and so in 2019 i went through this experience where i i lived my year of personal best and i um you know at, at the end of december of 2019 i started trying to write a blog post about all of this and honest to goodness, I was struggling with it. I was like, what did all that mean? What, what, what was that? That was crazy. What just happened here? Um, and, and so that was one of the reasons I wanted to come on to. And now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. 
storytelling by Seth. I wanted to just, you know, talk to you because there's something that we extricate those rocks and we're able to walk around them and we're able to take a look at it from different angles and we're able to find the the real nuggets that are in here in this story uh, and, and we're able then to share those things that are common with other people that once you extricate that rock out and once you walk around it a few times, you go, aha, this is the same kind of rock that everybody else goes through. And so then you're able to uh, to share. Uh, but just real quickly um, to answer your question, uh, I you know, you ask me, do I have testimonials or something that people have said to me? Uh, I think the highest compliment I was ever paid was this. I was running a leadership development workshop in Shanghai. And there is a uh, there's a gentleman there named Mike. And, you know, everybody calls him Big Mike. And he is like, you know, if there was ever a person for whom they invented the word a man's man, that's him. He's, you know, he's from New Zealand. He's a rugby player. He's this massive mountain of a man uh, and very intimidating and sort of, you know, strong-willed, hard kind of leader. Uh, and uh, at the end of the workshop, he, uh, you know, we just sort of went around in a little circle and just said, you know, what, what, you know, what did you get out of this or what was that like for you or any last words before you go? And uh, Big Mike said, you know what, I, you know, I'm here as an employee. And um, so my boss is going to thank you because I am now a better employee. Um, and my employees are going to thank you because I am now a better leader. But he said, honestly, the person who will send you the most praise and thanks is my wife, because for having gone through this experience, I am a better human being. And it was like, you know, past the hanky, man. I mean, we were just, you know, <laughs> like teared up and, you know, and I've never had anyone give a compliment like that before or since. Um, and so, you know, I, as you know, as a storyteller, those are the moments you live for that you you live for this moment where you say, I was able to extricate this rock from me. I was able to walk around it and find the things that are common to all of us. And I was able to deposit those lesson learned, lessons learned into you. And now you and I sit on the field together and we're, you know, we're both in the same place. So I think that, um, you know, as I as I think back on my, you know, my life, you know, on my LinkedIn pages, hundreds of, you know, people who have given me recommendations for different things. Uh, you know, uh, the book I have is a best-selling book. Uh, you know, the podcast that I host has, you know, hundreds of five-star reviews. Uh, so, you know, it, it, all that is really cool. But what really matters is face-to-face -face with one human being who just says, you know, you moved the needle for me. I really love that story. Big Mike is someone I think I would love to sit down and have a conversation with as well. I'm sure that what he was able to express to you in that moment is a, uh, a snapshot of everything he experienced, not only leading up to that statement he made, but afterwards and the experiences he went on to have and sort of reflect on because of the wonderful time that he had sitting down with you and going through a process of change. 
I'm, I'm moved by it because it reminds me of one of my favorite stories. And I love to steal this one from uh, a TV show. If you recognize it, feel free to chime in. If you don't, I'll say it at the end. But the story goes, a man is walking down the street and he falls into a hole. And while he's down there, he sees a priest walk by. And he calls up to the priest, hey, father, you help a guy out. I, I fell down this thing and I just can't get out. And the father says, you know, God will provide. I'm going to give you a couple of Hail Marys, but I have to be somewhere. So a little bit longer, he sees a gentleman he recognizes being a doctor. Hey, doctor, if you have a moment, I'm stuck down here. I know you. Can you help me out? He's like, you're going to be in a lot of pain. I can write you some prescriptions, but I have to see a patient. So then he sees a buddy walk by. And when his buddy walks by, he goes, hey, pal, it's me. I'm stuck in this hole. Can you help me out? And the buddy looks down and he goes, hey, no problem. And then he hops down in the hole and his friend looks at him and goes, what'd you do? Now we're stuck in here together. And the pal looks at him and he says, yeah, but I've been in this hole before and I know the way out. Come on, let's get moving. And it sounds like you've been able to show people that, yes, I know what I'm asking is difficult, but I've been there. And no matter what, I may have started my journey in one direction. The place that I'm at now is a place we're all going to reach or have reached. Here's how we come from this place and move forward. And I love the idea of uh, telling your story in a way that shows someone the way that they can discover the same things, not just from your example, but also from the knowledge that someone they know has been there, can answer their questions, provide the support, and share whatever insights they might have gained along the way. Sounds like that's something you were able to do for Big Mike. Sounds like probably the best testimonial I have uh, heard in quite some time. And I was really impressed that you uh, took the time to share it with us on, on this moment. Thank you. I'm, I'm also really moved by this idea that you weren't able to do that until you focused on um, the concept of practicing self-care, how you had to get yourself there first. And that's something that I think is really important for people to understand. And you've done a great job. It reminds me also of uh, Joseph Campbell and his concept that we are each a universe, which is something that struck with me. I was raised in a very uh, conservative Christian home. And there the idea is, you know, you have to share a message that can bring others uh, a salvation that can lead to saving the world, which is a wonderful idea in one respect. But at times I was challenged in my own ways through my own growth and belief. And along that way, I had to come to an understanding that no matter what belief system I adhered to, before I could do anything for anyone else, I had to take care of myself. And if I was going to have any impact on the world in a positive way, I had to start with me because, as Campbell pointed out, which I always love this idea, we each contain a universe. We each contain a world. Uh, through our, the course of our lives, we populate it by being a, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, eventually becoming a spouse or partner, um, later a parent potentially an uncle or aunt, and then later on into a senior status as a grandparent, great uncle. So many different roles that by the time it's done, the world we've created is one that can be shared with others. And in the process, if we can kind of save the world that makes us who we are, then we can turn around to others and say, so this is something I've discovered and I'd like to share it with you.
And I really enjoy the way you brought it together, not only this idea of self-care and what it was able to do for you in creating this message, but the impact of sharing with someone like Big Mike and how through these steps, you're able to begin practicing this idea of thriving and how it feeds very well into this idea of the advocacy, the avocation, the causes part of the hobbies and causes that you talked about in your 10 domains. Now that you've had the chance to experience so much of this, you're you're now simplifying it into this great idea of thrive, connect, contribute. When you're communicating that to others, what is so often the first place that you find yourself uh, making those connections after you introduce this idea of Thrive, where do you start from as you uh, begin sharing this message anew and anew? Do you take a new idea? Do you take what you've been learning recently? Or is it something where you know that there are ways we can always connect and that starting there is one of the best ways that you can introduce your idea? Uh, I, so I, uh, I, I offer business coaching and it's been very interesting because no matter what the path is, so, uh, maybe somebody comes in and they're saying, you know, I'm, I'm having a time, a hard time with communication skills, you know, so that's often, you know, something that somebody will get sent to a coach for. And, and I always hate it when somebody shows up, like they'd come to the principal's office, right? You know, <laughs> you know, you know, I'm here. <laughs> I was sent over here. It's like being sent to HR or something, you know. So, uh, um, uh, but no matter wh- where they end up, so whether it's you know I I, I uh, I'm not good at communicating or I'm not good at uh, you know I'm not achieving the numbers I uh, I'm supposed to be achieving or whatever that thing is, then backing up and saying okay, so what's happening in your life? Um, you know, what are you doing to practice self-care? What are you doing in order to build your personal capacity that will then allow you to be able to focus on others or to hit your numbers or to whatever? And so it always goes, you know, no matter where they enter the conversation, whether they're saying I'm struggling in hitting the numbers, I'm struggling with my relationships, I'm struggling with uh, my health, uh, you know, then then we eventually end up with this sort of pattern. And what I what I find that people appreciate it, about it is that it's a holistic approach, right? You know, there's there's all these um, uh, monolithic approaches. So you know, all you need to do is be uh, emotionally intelligent. All you need to do is uh, have crucial conversations. All you need to do is have cross-cultural collaboration. All you need to do is be a better coach. All you have to, you know, and and it's like there's this one answer, but that sells a lot of books. When you say I found the secret to the universe and it's this one thing, that sells a lot of books, and you know that's fantastic, um, but it doesn't really uh, answer the question. Uh, somebody said, um, and I am blanking on who it was, but somebody said, for every complex question, there is an answer that is simple, eloquent, and wrong. <laughs> because we we are looking for those simple answers. We want somebody to give us this, you know, uh, this little pill, you know, just give me a pill, you quack, and I'll go on my way. Uh, so, so I think that um, no matter where people come into it, once I introduce them to this idea of thrive, then connect, then contribute, uh, it seems to resonate with people. And it's just, you know, and, and I have to tell you, um, I will look back five years from today and look at everything I'm saying today and be 
horribly embarrassed. And I know that because I can look at everything I was thinking five years ago, and I've grown enough since that point that I'm embarrassed that I thought that back then. So hopefully five years from now, I'm going to look back at this and be embarrassed that it was just so incomplete or I had such a blind spot or I didn't get something right. So I'm not claiming to be the prophet or that I've got the answer or I've figured life out or whatever. I'm just saying, here's a pattern that works for me and let's see if it works for you. And I offer people this self-assessment. They can take it for free. Uh, and then once they get through the self-assessment, I actually, uh, for new coaching clients, I give them the, you know, uh, I start them off for free. And then once they decide, yes, I'm somebody that uh, they want to work with, then we go with that. And, you know, I, I charge them a monthly flat fee and we see each other, uh, you know, multiple times in a month as much as they want. I'm always available on uh, online or, you know, through a phone call. Um, but but it all begins with that that groundwork of really understanding where am I at on my in my own opinion. Don't even worry about the 360 degree feedback right now. Where am I at in my own opinion? Where are the gaps and what do I need to do to close those gaps? Are you still there? Because I'm not hearing you. Link. Okay, I'm, I, I can hear you now. I just heard you. Wonderful. <laughs> uh, the, I think the thing that I'm, thank you. There was a little bit of break there. Uh, I think the thing that I'm, I'm going to come away with is that it, it probably has to be a comfort once people realize that they don't have to be anything when it comes to sitting down and starting their coaching with you. They don't have to prepare in any sort of way. In fact, they can just walk in the door as themselves because that sort of raw honesty is allowing them to work with you as completely as possible instead of just working past whatever resistances they might have put on while trying to make themselves their best selves before they meet with you. Uh, when they come in, there's an opportunity to simply be the person that they are right now and get into honest truthful assessment, one that's based on the authenticity of your approach. And, and from that, uh, once they've sort of embraced that idea, move forward with all the ways that they can recognize where they are and how they can make the changes going forward. Um, it sounds like you personalize the measurements in a lot of way, much like you were able to personalize the measurements for yourself. I can only imagine how important that is. Um, and what that can be like to sort of put their growth and development and goals in their own terms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I can only imagine that, you know, through that, you're able to then let them know that you're not asking them to adopt a, a system that, that makes them learn a new vocabulary or set goals that don't align with who they are, but get a better understanding of who they are and who and where they want to be, which uh, is, is something we all like the idea of, but finding someone who can actually do that has to be the biggest challenge. Um, what I love also is that right now you're giving people an opportunity to access your best-selling book if they simply reach out to you and make a connection. Now, I do love the, the bit of a uh, addendum you've provided, which they have to mention in my podcast, which I'm okay with. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, the idea that I like is it's not like you're hoarding this away somewhere, locked in a vault with a secret key 
code and and in order to get access you you have to get past the gatekeeper there's no gatekeeper there's simply someone saying make contact let me know that you know what we're talking about and this is something that you want to engage with me about and the book is yours uh, was that always something you were thinking about did you come across the approach of just saying hey i've got this thing i can give and i'm ready to give um yeah. Um, so it, uh, the story of the book, just very quickly, um, a few years ago, we decided to do a crowdfunding campaign for a new project I was working on. Uh, and I talked to somebody who's an expert in crowdfunding. They said, you know, make sure, you know, your friends are going to give to the crowdfunding just because they're your friends. Uh, but make sure that you have some kind of, you know, reward or uh, enticement for people who want to support you uh, who don't know you, but they might get something that they want. And that something should be something very personal, something that only you could give. Uh, and at the time, I had been uh, podcasting for a few years, and so uh, I had been collecting the key pieces of advice that people shared with me at the end of each uh, episode. And so I would always just say, you know, what's something you would pass along? And they would tell me. And so I had a spreadsheet because I'm a spreadsheet geek. And I had a spreadsheet where I had been capturing that key piece of advice. And so one day I just sat down and I sorted through it. And I put, I put a category in a column beside each of those key pieces of advice. And then I sorted the spreadsheet. And it turned out that there were only of all the, you know, the first 150 people that I talked to had only given me 10 key pieces of advice. They'd just been saying the same things again and again. So I thought, ah, we're onto something. So that's what I did. I wrote this book and it's called Crazy Good Advice. 100, or, sorry, let me try that again. Crazy Good Advice, 10 Lessons Learned from 150 Leading Social Entrepreneurs. And, and so it's things like, you know, uh, engaging with empathy and building something that lasts and shifting at the system level and how to find funding and persisting or pivoting or both. And, and so in these different, uh, 10 different chapters, it's a highly illustrated book. Um, but when we got finished with a crowdfunding campaign, we gave it away during the crowdfunding campaign, uh, you know, for people who, as a thank you gift for people who donated. Uh, but we, at the end of that, we had this book in our hands. So we're like, well, what do you do with the book? I guess you put it on Amazon. And I put it on Amazon and it turned out to be a number one bestseller. And so it, <laughs> it, it shocked me. It shocked my wife. Um, but it's a fun little book. It's only 182 pages. It's filled with illustrations and pull-out quotes, and you know it's easy to get through. It's easy reading. There's lots of air and space in the book. Um, but it's a great book. It's still selling right now. Uh, you could go on Amazon and you could buy it for twenty dollars, or I think right now it's on sale for fourteen ninety-five or something. Uh, but if somebody will send me an email. And we'll make sure that we uh, give that email correctly here in a minute. But if somebody will send me an email and just mention storytelling by Seth, I will send them a book free of charge. Now, if they want a, a paperback book, then you know they'll need to cover the shipping costs. Or if they, <laughs> or if they want uh, the ebook, I'll just send it to them for free. I'll just send them a link, right? So, you know, um, uh, so that's it. Uh, but the way that they get that is my last name is unusual in the fact that it's spelled with one L and it's the word Lloyd. Now, often you see the word Lloyd spelled and it's two L's. So my name is Tony Lloyd, 
T-O-N-Y-L-O-Y-D with one L. And so to get the book, just send me an email, Tony at TonyLloyd.com, and I will send them crazy good advice, 10 lessons learned from 150 leading social entrepreneurs, if they will mention that they heard me on Storytelling by Seth. That sounds great. You've heard it straight from the man himself. Please be aware of the fact that if you're thinking of Christopher Lloyd or another <laughs> Lloyd that's spelled with two L's, you will be journeying into uh, unfortunate territory. But if you remember that it's simply one L, then you will be able to catch that Write that down. Here's your opportunity now to make sure that you've got that available by looking in those liner notes and you'll see that email address, contact information right there for you. Tony, uh, one, thank you. You've given me a couple of compliments along the way and I keep finding a way to work it in, but I, I'm very thankful your kindness regarding my storytelling is is very thoughtful and you're very considerate. I want to thank you for being so considerate for coming on today, for sharing your message, for introducing to a lot of people the possibility of what their best year for 2020 could be, what their best approaches can be, how they can get access to a free ebook and look at your example and so many of the different things that you have available. I want to also make sure that I give you an opportunity to talk about your your websites and places where people can go to get your information. But before I get to any of that, I know that storytelling means that I'm going to be drawn to certain elements and potentially highlight them without considering pieces I might not have included that on second thought, maybe during a revision process, I would, but live conversations don't really allow for that. What I know is that we've been talking for a, a really good amount of time covering a great number of issues, but I'm always concerned that I might miss something. So anytime I have a guest, I, I want to make sure that if there's something that we didn't get a chance to cover as well as you would have liked, if there's another piece to the message that I didn't include in my questions, but you would like to include now, or if there's anything in addition that we should be keeping in mind in regards to this entire approach, uh, you have that opportunity now to give us some of those points that allow us to look back on everything we've said now and also look ahead to the other information that we can find when we go to your different sites. Did we yeah. miss anything? Is there something that we should be including? Is there something you want to make sure we're remembering after all of the things we've covered? Domains, uh, connections, so many different elements. So I want to turn that opportunity over to you, my friend. Sure. So, uh, first of all, uh, Seth, I thank you, but I also thank your listeners. I mean, they have to be Iron Man to have the endurance to have sat through this long of an interview. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, when the no content's one, good, they do. When the yeah, content's no, good like this, they do. <laughs> no, no wonder, no wonder they get a free book at the end. I mean, for heaven's sake, they should be paid for this. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I, I uh, you know, I'll, I'll just say one last thing. Um, you know, you mentioned a while ago, uh, like a favorite quote or something, you know, uh, and some truth. Uh, but one of the one of my favorite quotes is um, from the book, and it's um, miracles find you while you're in motion. And and what I mean by that is um, if you're sitting on the sofa 
and you're sitting still and you're sitting on your hands and you're doing nothing, it's almost as if you are surrounded by this cloud of these moments of serendipity, these little synchronicity, these tiny little miracles, you know, coincidences, whatever word you want to put into it. But they can't see you as long as you're sitting still. It's the moment that you stand up. It's the moment that you go into motion. That's when the miracles show up. And so if there's anybody who's been going, well, you know, I've been meaning to X, let me just say, just start. I mean, start with start where you're at, start where you're at and improve as you go. You know, if you want to be a public speaker, go talk to people at the library, Uh, you know, get a group of three people together and go talk to them. You're not going to fill an auditorium your first time out. If you want to write a book, write one, write a bad book. You know, um, I called my first draft, I called it the crappy first draft because it, <laughs> I just got words down on paper. That's all I did. I just sat down and got words down on paper. So whatever that thing is that you've been thinking about doing, just do it. Um, so, so that's it. And then just to share my, uh, you know, my contact information, all that, uh, primarily if you just go to TonyLloyd.com, T-O-N-Y-L-O-Y-D.com, that's the base. Everything else goes out from there. I, I also have a you know, coaching site called cultureshift.com, C-U-L-T-U-R-E-S-H-I-F-T.com, uh, and a new podcast at thriveconnectcontribute.com. Uh, but you know, just the base, the home base is um, tonyloyd.com, T-O-N-Y-L-O-Y-D, and you can find everything else from there. Tony, that sounds really great. Um, I, I also loved how you ended with that idea. It's something I, I just uh, posted a podcast with a good friend of mine, Dr. Sarah Webb. And while we were chatting, I remember she brought up this uh, question that led me to recall a quote. And I can recall the text of the quote. I can't remember the uh, attribution, but I remember that it says, the knowledge that we can is so often the reason that we don't. And getting past the feeling of, well, I can do that at any time. I can do that well, when when I'm ready or the timing works out, I, I can do that. I'm just haven't yet. And as soon as I heard you saying, just get out there and do it, I was reminded of that quote and how recently it was part of another conversation and how much I enjoyed hearing an echo of it and what you just said. Simply reach out and make contact. Simply find out. Simply stand up and begin speaking. Simply sit down and start writing. But put yourself in motion and this really lovely idea that you were expressing about simply put miracles will find you when you engage in that motion it reminds me of a period where a few things were working out really interestingly for me when i was uh, doing grad school for writing and uh, a person who i knew said you have a lot of things suddenly happening for you and i said yes and i also have this feeling Like they wouldn't be if I wasn't moving in a direction I knew I should be moving. As though I felt that because I knew I was supposed to be going to school and doing the work that I was doing, these opportunities were opening up for me. And until I had actually started on that path, they weren't going to. I hadn't set things in motion yet to allow for those miracles to find me. And I certainly hadn't considered them as miracles or that they would find me when I was in motion. But through your great example, I love this idea of the act of doing 
is what will provide these opportunities, will provide these uh, connections that can lead to so much more. But they won't do it if you're simply sitting on this thing you want to do and not moving forward with it, not making any progress, action, or commitment to it, and certainly not revealing any intention. So I thought that was a really great way to encourage people that, yeah, you've heard a lot of really important things right now, but it's what you do with them next, which is really going to define what your impact is from this conversation, what you're taking away from it, and also what you're going to be doing after it's done to embrace and approach your own goals and your own desire to thrive, which, uh, it's a really important message. I think people are really going to enjoy taking away with them today. I really appreciate that. I also love that you pointed out the different websites, but that when they want it, people can just go to the source at TonyLloyd.com, and from there, they're going to be set. So it sounds like we've set them up for a really great opportunity to make their choices once this conversation's over. I really enjoyed having you on today, Tony. I, I thought I had an idea of this conversation, and generally I like to think I do, but it's the discoveries along the way of, of what the conversation actually is and how I can learn so much more than I, I was able to just from uh, learning about your website, doing my own research. But the conversation, the discoveries from Big Mike to <laughs> so much more, it, it really was a great conversation, and I love the way that it embodied so much of what you were talking about with this idea of thrive of living your best self and also about finding the ways to do that so thank you tony you're welcome thanks for having me seth been my pleasure i look forward to catching up with you in the future i believe that you are on your way to more things that we would enjoy talking about and catching up with you and hearing about them is something that not only i but i'm sure listeners will enjoy as well all right. Well, thanks, thanks for having me. My pleasure, my friend. And with that, we bring this episode to a close. Of course, listen to the very end for all the ways you can reach out to me. You've heard all the great ways you can reach out with Tony. And again, look to the liner notes for where I include the text of all that information in the event you're driving or doing something else where you simply can't copy it all down. I'm saying thanks again to Tony for joining me today. And this concludes our episode of Storytelling with Seth. And that brings this episode of Storytelling with Seth to a close. I'm going to once again thank Tony Lloyd for sitting down with me today and sharing so many great insights. I think I thought that Trapped in a Story would be my favorite part. But it was hard to single out just one favorite when there were so many gems that we were able to explore and discover. I really enjoyed his insights, and if you did as well, you just heard all the best ways that you can reach out and contact him. Of course, you can also look for all that information in the liner notes. Should you have any problem finding any of it, please don't hesitate to reach out and find me. And when it comes to doing that, I try to offer you as many options as possible, whether it's Instagram as Seth the Writer, Twitter as One More Singleton, my website and Facebook pages, both appropriately named Seth Singleton Storyteller, here on Storytelling with Seth, or even with my Gmail at sethsingleton at gmail.com. 
If you'd like to go for an adventure, you can just type my name, Seth Singleton, and the word story into your search bar and see which platform comes up first or which you choose to engage with me. And then leave me a message and tell me a story about how we're making this connection, why it's important, and what you have to say to me, and maybe what I have to say in response. I look forward to all the ways we can connect and share, and more importantly than anything, if you think you have a story that belongs here on Storytelling with Seth, those are all the best ways to find me, share it with me, and hopefully we can get your story here. This has been episode number 70. I'd like to once again thank you for joining me and Mr. Tony Lloyd for sharing with us. I look forward to meeting with you next time on our next episode. You can hear the snarbling of my French bulldog, Bruno, who's also very enthused. And when we do, we'll be sitting down with Mr. Sam Dosa and having a great conversation that I think you'll enjoy as much as you did this one. Until next time. Thanks for sharing this story with me, and we'll see you soon here on Storytelling with Seth.